0: Welcome to Office Hours Beyond the Lecture. Today we will be interviewing Drew Talley, an oceanographer at the University of San Diego. Hello, Drew. Um, thank you for coming on the show today.
1: Oh, it's great to be here.
0: <laughs> uh, would you mind telling us what you do? What is your passions?
1: So I am technically, I'm a biological oceanographer. Mm-hmm. I got my degree at Scripps Institution of Oceanography. What I think of myself more as though is a marine ecologist. So I do a lot of work on basic ecological principles and I do a lot of it not just in the ocean but actually at the interface between the ocean and the land.
0: Whoa, that's pretty cool. What What to you was a defining moment that inspired you to do those things?
1: I've thought about that before and there isn't really a single defining moment. I grew up here in San Diego, and as a little kid I grew up watching TV shows about Jacques Cousteau and these you know, bearded French guys exploring the (laughs) oceans, and it seemed super exciting as a child, and I think something about that allure and that excitement just never left me. So all the way through my life I always had it somewhere in the back of my head that I wanted to be a... Marine biologist.
0: Well, did you decide that that defined that you wanted to go into academia, or did that define for you more research?
1: I think as a little kid, I didn't know there was a difference. I thought that academia and research were one and the same, and that science really was just people running around in the ocean, exploring, <laughs> and you know, facing up against orcas and sharks, and you mm. know fighting danger, and it's much more of a cartoonish version of what we really do in the sciences.
0: When you came into the sciences, what changed that misconception for you?
1: Well, I think in large part it was just actually doing work and realizing that a lot of the research, you know, as an undergrad doing research projects with faculty and with graduate students Mm -hmm. and realizing just how much of the hard work of science is sitting over a microscope counting copepods or, you know, going out in the field and standing there counting the number of polychaete worms that you find in a certain core. Mm-hmm. So there's a, the, I think the, for lack of a better word, the tedium of science uh, started to, you know, which didn't, didn't divert my interest, but it did, it was a real realization for me that it is mm-hmm. not all about hugging yeah. whales and fighting off sharks.
0: That makes sense. And so that was one misconception for you. What were some other things that that was misconceding um, when you came into becoming a scientist?
1: I think one of the things I thought all scientists were confident and experts in every field and that if you were a scientist, you could just ask someone something and they would they would know the answer because they're a scientist so of course they know and I think that the more experience I had in science although I confess it took a long time I think figuring out and dealing with imposter syndrome is actually a really big part it was a big part for me of wrapping my head around science Hmm. and by that I mean that you know I that my impression was scientists know it all and they are all super smart and super confident and even as a graduate student um, it was really difficult sometimes because I felt like everyone else around me must be that scientist that archetype that I've created in my head of they're brilliant and confident and they know the answer to everything and I certainly don't feel that way so I must be kind of faking it and not belong here and so I think it took I think A as I've become a faculty member and spent more time in academia. I have learned just how common that is, how I would say more than common. It's almost ubiquitous. I have virtually never run into another professor even who doesn't either currently or in the past have struggled with imposter syndrome. Well, so I think that was, for me that was one of the big defining moments of helping me to understand what science really is.
0: Wow that actually leads perfectly into my next question. What then does science mean to you? What is science to you?
1: For me, science is just i well, I shouldn't say just, but it's a way <laughs> of understanding the natural world. Mm-hmm. So for me, science is a verb, not a noun. So it's a thing you do um, following the scientific method or some variation of it. And it's a way that we gain knowledge about the natural world. So I think of it as again I sort of break down in my mind there isn't a strong barrier between the public and scientists because people are doing science all the time in their own way and at their own you know at their own level and in things that interest them so little kids can do science it just means they're following the scientific method to answer questions
0: that makes sense you said that you were inspired when you were a kid to be a marine scientist Was that always your path or did you ever diverge from that? Did you ever decide that you wanted to be a business major or decide anything else?
1: Yeah, I actually was a philosophy major for a while. So I was convinced that I, the career I wanted was wearing a jacket that had patches (laughs) on the elbow and just sitting in a room, probably smoking a pipe and thinking very deeply about things. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I spent a couple years as a philosophy major before I realized that in addition to my philosophy courses, I was taking an awful lot of marine science courses. And uh, mm. ultimately I realized, oh, that's actually the path I want to take.
0: How was that decision for you? How has that change?
1: It That was actually not a very difficult time for me. I didn't, I, ha- I don't feel like I had had a lot of personal investment in the idea of thinking of myself as a philosopher, and so I don't think it it was a real struggle for me to change.
0: Did you go directly from college to grad school, or did you take a few years?
1: I, I took plenty of years. Um, I, I took a long time. I actually struggled with both focus a bit as an undergraduate to be honest and I also spent a fair bit of time traveling so I lived in Algeria for a while and in Indonesia for a little while and um Detroit even um for a little while. Wow so, yeah. you have
0: traveled the globe. <laughs> yeah. That is really cool.
1: Yeah I I don't regret it at all it certainly set me back compared to my peers and mm. the you know I have good friends who were already Settled in their occupations and academia while I was at the point of finally realizing I wanted to become a graduate student or maybe not realizing I wanted to become it, but having the having the determination to actually hmm. sit down and do it
0: What drove you to travel everywhere
1: um, it, I wish I had an answer for that I think <laughs> i was it was it's a very seductive thing travel and so you know, i would often i had a job that allowed me to travel and it's one of those things where every year i would say oh just one more one more year of travel and then i'll get back to being serious about right. school um, but it was it's very easy to get drawn away it's one of the, i think it's a a real problem well I'm a big fan of the idea of gap years. I think, especially for a lot of people, it's a wonderful way to figure out for sure what you want to do, take a break from undergraduate career before you move on to graduate school or onto a real career. But I also feel like the the danger of a gap year is that it can sometimes turn into a gap decade. And so it's to try and uh, make sure that you are aware of that before you make that decision.
0: What do you think doing that gave you?
1: It gave me so much perspective. I I don't know how much it gave me from an academic standpoint, but from a personal standpoint, it completely altered and opened my eyes to other cultures, to the way people think. I grew up here in San Diego um, and didn't have a lot of experience with other cultures and so had harbored a lot of the for lack of a better word, I'll say prejudices or sort of uh, preconceived notions that we have about Muslim culture and people from other cultures in general and getting to spend time and making friends who were, you know, dear friends who were Muslims living in Algeria in the desert. It really opened my eyes to just how amazing so many other cultures and people are.
0: What were some of the challenges that you faced when you went across the countries
1: i think it was i mean it was it is uh, difficult to especially language barriers obviously is a big one obviously but everything from learning new foods to learning that it's culturally inappropriate to you know have the sole of your foot pointed at someone in some cultures and i think just gaining an appreciation for not only how difficult that was for me, but how difficult that must be. It's something I've carried with me to this day. I think about these young students coming into our system who are not only uprooted from their school system, but uprooted from their cultural system and how I think it has made me a lot both more humble and a lot more sensitive to looking out for other people's needs.
0: Wow! wow. Um... So going back to science, what what drove you to sit down and be a grad student?
1: I would say there were two things. One was my, uh, my wife and my good friend Jeff Crooks, who's a, right now the research coordinator for the Tijuana River National Estuarine Research Reserve here in San Diego. Um, I was an undergraduate and met the two of them at San Diego State, and they were both super determined and joyful, creative scientists. And that served as a real, you know, obviously she wasn't my wife then, but became my girlfriend. And as someone, seeing people who were so centered and happy and getting such joy out of science made me realize, you know, boy, that's really something that it would be great to have for myself Mm -hmm. and work. It's, you know, worth the effort. And I would say the other thing, is, to be honest, a stats class that I took where I had really, as a... I had thought that I was terrible at math. Um, and in in high school and as an undergraduate, I did okay in my math classes, but I just, I had it in my head that, oh, I can't do math. And uh, taking a stats class where I, I realized suddenly that not only was I okay with it? But I really understood the concepts. Yeah, the simple to this day, like, ask me to divide numbers in my head, and I'll stare at you blankly. But (laughs) the concepts behind math, I actually really love. And so Mm -hmm. hitting that, like, being able to break out of that, oh, I'm a dummy at math, Mm -hmm. and realize that, you know, yeah, there were some parts of math that challenged me more than other people, but there's some parts of writing that challenged them more than I. And, you know, we all have things we're better or worse at, but it doesn't mean you're bad at it or it doesn't mean you can't do it. It just means you have to work harder for it. Hmm. So that class really opened my eyes and helped me um, realize. Yeah, it gave me the confidence to really push hard through some of the really mm-hmm. difficult courses. You know, I'm not saying... uh calculus or organic chemistry was easy but i will say it made it a lot easier because i came in there feeling some agency and feeling like i really could do it
0: you were confident yeah yeah that makes sense what when you came to grad school and sat down after all those years of traveling and all those years of what what was the biggest change for you what was the biggest moment um in the beginning of grad school of whoa i'm here
1: It was a really difficult transition. It's... Graduate school is really difficult, even in the best of circumstances. And, you know, to go from a lifestyle of more traveling around and just sort of enjoying yourself to working quite literally often 90 hours a week or something, um, it, it was a big change. But also, I was surrounded by people who wanted me to succeed and who were facing the same challenges. And I think it was just being accepted into this culture where that was kind of what you did. So I think it was a big challenge and a change, but it was one that I took to fairly readily.
0: You were ready for it. Yeah. Wow. Um, What was after you, after you left grad school, What were one of your biggest moments? What was your biggest discovery in your field as a professional now?
1: The biggest moment in my field Mm -hmm. is, to be honest, happened fairly recently when I won the uh, Nearing Award for Outstanding Educator from the Coast and Estuarine Research Federation, which is sort of, most people hearing this will never have heard of it, but in my field, that's the organization that everyone wants to belong to and looks up to—they only give that award to one person and only every other year. Um, and so, I was—I think—only the fifth or sixth person to ever get it. Wow! Um,
0: nice job. And
1: it was a for me. It was it was super gratifying. As if I don't get enough joy out of teaching and scholarship, but it really for me reaffirmed the value of meshing those two together. That sort of I think what in the business we call the teacher scholar model, which the University of San Diego is is really big on, where what you do as an academic informs, you know, what your research informs your teaching, and vice versa. And I teach both. I, you know, I'm also the science director for a nonprofit Ocean Discovery Institute that works with um, kids from the City Heights area of San Diego and get them engaged in STEM. And I, what I've often thought about, you know, with working with kids that young, so high school and below, actually, and working with graduate students and undergraduates here at University of San Diego, is getting out in the field and and in the lab with students just invigorates your science. And it, I, for me, it's such a joy to show people something you love so much. It's, I liken it to. When you see a movie you just love and you can't wait to see it again, <laughs> but with your friends so that you can expose them to what a cool movie or what a great song it was you heard, mm-hmm. I feel the same way about my science. Whoa. Yeah. And so I think this, the working with them helps keep me, in a sense, young as far as my attitude towards the science. And then the science helps me, obviously, in some more obvious ways to train kids in how science works and getting them as excited about it, hopefully, as I am.
0: Wow, what what's made you start that um, nonprofit in City Heights?
1: Oh, I, I deserve zero credit for the nonprofit. Oh. So the <laughs> the people who run the nonprofit are these amazing educators and experts in outreach and education. So I just happened to get involved with it. That's sort of a long story. But back in about two thousand and one, I started, or two thousand and three. I'm sorry, I started working with them. Wow. Yeah.
0: That must be really rewarding.
1: Yeah, it is. It's yeah. uh, one, of the, one of the best things I do.
0: And it must be really cool, too, to like see the children grow.
1: Right. So we actually, you know, one of the kids who, there's a picture on my wall of her back when she was a freshman in high school doing work with me down on islands in the Gulf of California. Whoa. She ultimately graduated from Hoover High School here in San Diego Uh, Her name's Anai Novoa. She then went on to UC Santa Barbara, got her bachelor's degree there, came back to USD and got a master's degree working with my wife and I here at University of San Diego. Whoa. And now she's finishing up her PhD at Scripps Institution of Oceanography out in La Jolla. (sighs) Yeah, so that has been a real joy for me to watch her and other students like that go through their their trip through college and career.
0: (laughs) That's really cool. What do you think for you now as a professor um, at the University of San Diego or as a statistician, um, an oceanographer, what is the biggest challenge for you that you didn't expect?
1: I think the biggest challenge is probably the finding the in part finding the time to do everything you need to do. I think the one thing, certainly, even as a graduate student, that never struck me was the administrative work that's involved in any job, but sort of the checking boxes and signing papers and mm-hmm. filling out forms and that sort of thing that everyone does. But I would say, on a, the part that more importantly or sort of that affects me more is um, just trying to find a good way to effectively engage students. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you you need to, it, the one thing I struggle with is trying to both be tough enough, is that the word, to, you know, really hold students to a high standard while at the same time offering them the support uh, mm-hmm. that they need. Um, you know, you you certainly don't want to be that curmudgeonly old scientist <laughs> who's just like, well, tough luck, You that's a grade you got, so that's a grade you got. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also can't give everyone an A right so it's I think it's a real struggle to find the the way to offer those supports to students especially students who everyone's coming from a different place and has different issues sometimes they're dealing with completely outside of the classroom that you have no knowledge of so it's it's I think super important I've learned through time to try and be open to I basically have decided that what you need to do is hold students to a high standard but also the doors are never shut to a student as far as I'm concerned no matter what they've done if it would have been oh that if only you would turn you know you didn't turn in a single homework this semester that doesn't mean that next semester you hold that against them or you don't give them an opportunity right it's (laughs) honestly that it is a real struggle for me trying to make sure I'm being as supportive as I possibly can be while maintaining the rigor that I think is so important for students to see.
0: That makes sense. What do you think, coming to the University of San Diego, going back to um, the imposter syndrome, do you feel like here um, you had to work through that as well? Like, what was that in grad school? Was that more as a professor? Like, how?
1: I, I feel like it, I was actually just talking to a colleague yesterday who's just finishing her Ph.D., and she was expressing those exact feelings and she said, wow, that never goes away, does it? And mm-hmm. to a degree, it doesn't. It's you're, <laughs> you're feeling like you're being an imposter about something different. But I And I don't know that there's a solution mm. to imposter syndrome other than, I think, recognizing that it's there and that I almost feel like it's a personality defect if you haven't ever felt imposter syndrome because mm. I suspect that that means you simply aren't aware enough to realize that <laughs> there are some things you're just not that great at compared to some other people.
0: That makes sense. So why did you decide to start teaching? What what made you want to do that after you came out of grad school?
1: Yeah, you know, to talk about the, that whole teacher-scholar model, mm-hmm. in my mind, that was the only way that was what academics did, was they taught and they did their research at the same time. And I have been at both ends. There's certainly a spectrum of that at um, Scripps Institution of Oceanography. I was fortunate to have a committee and advisors who loved and cared about both teaching and their research. Mm-hmm. But Scripps is an institution that people become professors there and get accepted. there not usually based on what phenomenal teachers they are, but what phenomenal research they do and, mm-hmm. you know, what grants they get, et cetera. The other end of that spectrum is a place like University of San Diego, which is a a primarily undergraduate training institute. So we're a place that really special, the first criterion, as we call it here, is that you be a good teacher. Mm. Um, So they do care very much here about that teacher-scholar model, but the emphasis is on teaching. And so I've seen both sides of that, but honestly, I always felt I just couldn't disentangle those two things in my head.
0: Why did you decide the University of San Diego?
1: In part because I—I I mean, part of it, honestly, you, you've seen the campus. It's tough not to Beautiful. love the idea of being <laughs> at University of San Diego. Um, but I also love the idea of being at the small class size, the fact that the teacher scholar model was something that was emphasized from the beginning, mm-hmm. and the fact that you know my colleagues in this department. You know, it's a small department where everyone works closely together and gets along. Um, but there were just so many things to recommend it. Uh, so, yeah, I didn't. I never looked back.
0: It wasn't a second thought.
1: No, not in the <laughs>
0: <least>. <laughs> so. Then at the University of San Diego as a professor, what what does your typical day look like?
1: At USD, it's interesting because most of uh, I we do research and teaching, obviously, but during the academic year, most of our time is spent doing teaching related activities. So a typical day I get in here and, you know, a lot more time than anyone would be happy hearing of my day is spent on email. I suspect you, you may recognize that. It's
0: it's been a common theme. Yeah,
1: I would say I deal with probably a hundred and something emails per day, um, oh. and so it's really it is really tough to keep up. But it's also very important to you know answer those questions that are coming, especially if they're from students. So mm-hmm. I sort of triage and prioritize things. So students or urgent matters, I try and deal with right away. But I would say I spend a lot of my time on a given day doing email. A lot of my time writing lectures um and holding office hours that you know, and it varies through it's sort of seasonal, right? Right mm-hmm. now everyone wants to come and talk about their class schedule, declaring majors, etc., because registration's coming up, so that's understandably on students' minds. Yeah. Um right before a test I have a lot more students in my cli- mm-hmm. in my office hours wanting to talk about asking questions about exams and study mm-hmm. material. Um We also have administrative things we do, department meetings, things like that. And then I have, I'm fortunate in our department, we have graduate students as well. So I have graduate students working in my lab who I check in on periodically, or they'll have questions about what organisms they found in a sample or how to analyze their data and things like that. So it really varies day to day, but the core of it is truly maintaining contact and support for students and colleagues, and then teaching your classes and grading exams—obviously, things like that—is
0: that what you expected as a professor?
1: I think it. I think it is what I expected. I don't know that the proportions of time spent on <laughs> each of those things are quite the way I would have expected them to be. Mm. Um, but also, that changes. You know, I think so people new... have become more reliant on email these days, so that's just a more everyone sends you.
0: An email. An email
1: to ask a question, and so that is, I think, more common than it was when I first got here.
0: That makes sense. And that's going to be interesting in the future, too, to see how that changes.
1: Yeah. I mean, the one thing I would add is that my life in the summer is very, very different from that. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I was thinking about what my typical day would be like when I'm in the field, um, and I have a particularly glamorous sounding work (laughs) that I do working on islands in the Gulf of California and in wetlands here in Southern California but you know down there I'm up at sunrise and getting on a boat and heading out to these islands to do sampling and research um, interacting with local fishermen and people down in the community down there and then back in the field station you know talking with other scientists and with students and colleagues so it's a very very different pace, as well as a very different, you know, that's when we get the bulk of our actual scientific research done is during the summer. Mm.
0: And it must keep it very dynamic, too. Your entire year then is changed back and forth and back and forth, which must be, which must be really cool.
1: Yeah, I, I love it. I, th- I think it probably feels similar to the way it does for students, where by the end of the summer, you're sort of Excited to be going back to school and getting back into that routine, and then by the end of the school year, you are ready for the summer to start, and you're kind of done with sitting in classes and hearing really? lectures all the time.
0: How does that fulfill you differently than when you were traveling?
1: Um, traveling is such a joyful, but I, I, I hate the word I'm about to use, but selfish Mm. um joy in that right my travels i wasn't doing travels to go help build a school in in central america or something i was traveling purely for my own joy yeah um whereas what the the satisfaction i get now from both making a scientific discovery or honestly i know it sounds cliche but when you're explaining a difficult concept in class, whether it's how the title cycles work or how a, you know, how a T-test works in statistics, mm-hmm. the greatest joy is that when you see that aha moment where a student suddenly lights up and you can just tell that suddenly it all clicked for them, like, like that's a joy that you get that, sure, there's a lot of selfish part of it because you're, right, you're... It's just fun to see someone go through that, but also that you're actually making a difference, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's one of some of those little moments that are so tangible that really make this job wonderful.
0: That's beautiful. What is some advice that you would give to undergrads going into this world now?
1: I would say if you're interested in science, or really no matter what you're interested in, start early. It's mm-hmm. it's never too early to go and if you're interested in science, go talk to a professor who does work you think is interesting and say, Hey, do you have any openings in your lab where I could volunteer during the summer or I could volunteer, you know, during the semester mm-hmm. just for a couple hours a week. Those connections not only are valuable for you in that they teach you, you know, you might think, oh, I really want to study um in fauna, which means the animals that live in the mud and sediments mm. in the ocean. And that looks so interesting when I read a paper about it or saw my professor talk about it. Maybe you would go and do it and you would hate it and you would realize, oh, the last thing I ever want to do is work with those again. As far as I'm concerned, that's a big victory right there because mm. that it's just as important to check things off you don't want to do as things that you do. I would also say don't be too quick You know, maybe you had a bad professor or you had a bad project or whatever. Don't give up on something right away. But certainly, the experience is not only helpful for you to figure out what you want to do, but then it won't be too long if you're really interested in academia where you'll need a letter of recommendation for something. Mm. And then you have someone who knows you well and can speak to your strengths and write you a good letter or make a recommendation to you or help mentor you through some of the difficult times.
0: Yeah. Do you have people like that in your life that, that did that for you?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's the only reason I'm here.
0: That's perfect. Thank you so much. Do you have any any last things that you would like to say? I guess the only
1: the only thing I would add is almost the opposite of what I just said about mm-hmm. get started early. The caveat is it's never too late. Like, I think I'm a good example of that, that I spent an awful lot of time not doing science and not doing academia or doing academia really poorly um but just never give up on yourself there's always you you can change that and you can turn that around and you can be successful
0: well thank you so much oh, thank for you. being this on the show today yeah um thank you everybody for tuning into office hours beyond the lecture with dr drew tally i hope to see you in the next podcast goodbye